Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Just for Biggie to think that advanced, because New York wasn't up on bone thugs like that. You think this shit was a flock, man? I'm gonna show you what I really do right now. 20 plus years later, and our fans will absolutely have a fit if we don't perform that song. 26 years ago, we tragically lost one of the greatest music artists that ever lived. In the sphere of hip hop, Christopher Wallace, AKA the Notorious B.I.G., is revered as one of the greatest of all time writer, rapper, and songwriters. A GOAT. His final body of work was the impeccable double album, Life After Death, a succession of infectious hit records and impossibly poignant rhymes that soared from certified diamond to iconic. 2022 marked the year that Life After Death turned 25, as well as the year that our dear friend Big Papa would have been 50 years old. I'm Angie Martinez, The Voice of New York, and I spent five consecutive nights speaking with those who were closest to Biggie during the final 18 months of his life, in and out of the studio. The result is an eight-episode visual podcast fit for a king. Welcome to season one of Iconic Records. When rap aficionados pinpoint the performance that closed the case on who's the best MC, it's usually Big's verse on Notorious Thugs. Never did anyone fathom a New York rapper borrowing the staccato and lullaby flow of Cleveland rap group Bone Thugs and Harmony, then taking it to another level. On episode six, Fat Joe tells that it was he who brokered the historic Bone and Biggie collab. Bone Thugs manager Steve LaBelle joins us to confirm then Little C's and Lazy Bone revisit the epic studio session in California, late 1996. Let's hear from Fat Joe. D- let's just start with Life After Death. Life After Death, wow. Um, Do you remember the first time you heard it? Oof. Life After Death was uh, was just like, I guess our version of like um, Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre, how... You know, their albums used to sound so big and so well put together. Big was going to make a project that sounded like the quality of Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. I promise you, that's Mm -hmm. he had a CD of them up on the wall and just was staring at them the whole time he was making that album. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to be the New York version of that quality over quantity. And so they gave us a double album. If they would have kept one side, it would have been three and classics. Mm-hmm. 
You know what I'm saying? It would have been three classics instead of two classics. So it's like Life After Death was like the first polished song after song was epic. The shit sounded big, like huge. You know, hip hop, when big first started and I first started, it was just raw, yeah. hard, underground vocals. You could hear the boom punches, bap. boom, bap. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. That shit, when he put that together, was more like, oh, shit. Because we used to listen to uh, Dr. Dre and, and Snoop Dogg and be like dumbfounded, like how they had the skits, how they had the this, how they had the that. So that was uh, New York's version of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then also when we would hear big productions like that, the bars weren't at the same level of the bars that obviously Biggie was yeah, giving Biggie us. Biggie never kicked a whack rhyme. Um, that's the difference between him and pretty much every rapper ever. Can you say that about any other rapper? No. Biggie, um, every uh, feature, whether it was on 112, it was on Supercat, it was everybody was waiting to hear. If, and every time, it was just amazing, 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 mm -hmm. amazing, amazing. And he never kicked a whack rhyme. Did you ever get to see him? Were you ever in the studio with him? Did you ever get to witness that? Angie, you got to stop these trick questions. <laughs> You know, I was with I was in the studio with Biggie all the time. Mm -hmm. And um I was there when he made Hypnotize. And I tell a story that from twelve to one, this is like what you just said at the funeral, it was ten Spanish girls. From one to two, ten black girls. From two to three, <laughs> ten Asian girls. From three to four, ten Italian girls. This I mean, I've never seen nothing like this in my life. I'm sitting in the studio. I said, this is what it's like to be the B.I.G. The ladies, def he definitely loved the ladies, and the ladies definitely the loved ladies him. The ladies love B.I.G. Yeah. And I tell a story because the phone rang, and he picks up, and he's like, and it's Faith, uh, his wife. And she called up. She was like, hey, big. He was like, what's up, baby, whatever, trying to sweet talk her. And she was like, you up there with all them dirty, nasty bitches? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like... Nah, and he was like, why they can't be model bitches? I was like, oh my God, I never seen no, nor heard no shit like that in my life. But I was there, you know, every, I don't care where I'm at. Yeah. I could be in Spain, Dubai, wherever. When hypnotized come on, I automatically know like, yo, I was there. Mm -hmm. I'd be like, yo, oh shit, I, I was there. While that music was going boom, boom, boom. Bound. You know, I was hearing that shit for like seven, eight hours. You know, when you're in the studio. Yeah, what are you thinking when you're sitting in the studio? And you're thinking you... of the song. Like you there and but you're going you over the lyrics. This, are you thinking this is going to be a monster? This is a fucking hit. Like, it, it, with any one of my hits, I left the studio. That's what I do now when we listen to music in, in the backyard. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no romance without finance. <laughs> right? I be like, um, and then you got to pay the rent. Need for nothing. I'm like, yo, what was that girl thinking when she walked out that studio that day she made that fucking record? <laughs> like, because you know, when you make a hit, Hypnotize was gone. Hypnotize. And then the video. Were you there when he did the vocals? No. No, I was there when he was writing. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And getting the vibe and all that. I wasn't there when he did the vocals, but I was there. And um, the video. The video was like, we never seen no shit like that. The Ben's going backwards. The mermaid, the yacht, 
the fucking shirts. You got to understand, fat guys couldn't even get a fucking, we couldn't even get a t-shirt back in them days. <laughs> yeah. We got to go to Dr. J's, big and tall, tall busters. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and that, he was wearing some old Hermes shit, Versace shit, and we was just looking like, yo, this shit crazy. Like, this guy flies a motherfucking puff hat to match his shirt. Nah, it was crazy. He hypnotized the video. Was my, I remember that video, my favorite thing. I, this is the first time he just was smiling so much in that video. It was. That it was, um, and it was different for him. Yeah, all because all his videos think, was hard. And I watching think, him smile was like a, it was just, I don't I know. I can tell you why. I can tell you why. Okay. We came from nothing. You know what I'm saying? And let alone the dream comes and it's coming fast. But, um... He knew he was shooting a $2 million video, some wild shit that, you know, Fat Joe and Buckshot Shorty was shooting $10,000 videos. Mm -hmm. He made it only guys like Dr. Dre, um, Snoop, uh, Bone Thugs, like certain guys had million Buster Rhymes mm -hmm. with the doom, doom, doom. Yeah. Right? So he knew while he was shooting that shit, like, yo, this shit gonna be crazy we got mermaids we got yachts helicopters coming like it was like he knew he was like yo this is it you like he was saying? enjoying the moment hell fucking yeah he was like yo because uh that was gonna take him to another 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 level the thing about him too is even in his prime prime i feel like he always touched the people like you would see him on TV and doing this, but then you'd be like at a club in New York and he would show up at the club. Like, I feel like he, people had such a, like a, he almost, they felt like they could touch him in a way. And that's great. That's Fat Joe does that to this day. Mm -hmm. But, um, I think, um, at one point he became too accessible where he, where he got locked up for beating the guy with the bat, with this, this, and this. I just think mm -hmm. if we, if we just go too much to the club, too much outside, shit is bound to happen. When we look at Fat Joe, mm -hmm. what part of him is like influenced? Oh, he influenced me uh, incredibly. There's too many sessions I got ready for that I would just listen to 30, 40 Biggie records in a row. Um, he influenced Big Pun. Big Pun was just the Latino version of Biggie. You know what I'm saying? That's how. When I discovered him, that's what I thought of from the first second. Of course, uh, Pun had his own rhyme schemes and was da 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 da. But at the end of the day, we were gonna make him the Puerto Rican Biggie, you know, sex symbol for ladies, Boricua Morena. Uh, that all came from Biggie. But I also believe if we gonna give it to Biggie, we gotta we gotta include rest in peace, Heavy D. Because mm -hmm. Heavy D's the guy who inspired all the big boys. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So Heavy D, you know, every time I hear him, I get, I get put a smile on my face because he like to be fly. I mean, Heavy D, when it comes to his birthday and you're on Instagram and you're looking for pictures, you don't really got to search hard. He's just like fresh in every fucking <laughs> pic. Like one with Neil Long, one with the flyest sweatsuit you ever seen in your life. One with the, uh, yeah. you know, Heavy D was very inspirational. And then, uh, and then Biggie. You know what I'm saying? He took it another level. You got the Rosses, you got the Callas. Everybody been inspired by man. What could you say about the evolution of, you know, Ashy the Classy? Fast, really fast, really quick. Smooth um, though, right? Because sometimes I'll people try you, to make that evolution, that transition. Nobody had that transition before him. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Nobody ever did what he did. 
Nobody went from ashy to classy. Nobody went from ashy to classy. You're absolutely Nobody right. ever did that. That's a fact. Right. Yes. What? What do you want me to do? Let me ask you a question, Mike. You guys are all hip-hop historians. Fat Joe tells some stories you don't believe, but then you realize it's the fucking truth because somebody wouldn't say it. It's a lie. It's... No, I think we believe you. No, it's like, no, it's fantasy. Me. It sounds like a fantasy. I'm sorry, but it really happened. What do you guys want me to do? Like when you went, yeah, I lived a good life, right? I was fucking everywhere. Now, I'm going to tell you a fact. Okay. So I was signed to Relativity Records. It was me, the Beat Nuts, Common, M.O.P., Chiali, and Bone Thugs and Harmony. And so I clicked up with Bone Thugs and Harmony right away. Because I would go to Cleveland, hang out with them. I would ride with them on a tour. These guys sold 30 million records. So they were selling out stadiums. The stadiums looked like it, it was going to collapse. The stadiums that look like it's bending. And um, Biggie hit me up. I was like, yo, bro, I'm trying to get in touch with your guys. They don't want to do it. They're ignoring me. They didn't want to do a song with Biggie. And B just for Biggie to think that advanced, because New York wasn't up on Bone Thugs like that. He knew that they was gigantic. And he was like, yo, I need to do a song with them. And I was like, um, all right, Biggie. He was like, nah, I know you, you the plug. You could do it. I was like, all right, big, I got you. So then I called them, and they had already been cool with Tupac. Mm -hmm. And so they was like, yo, Joe, we can't do it. We cool with Tupac. And I'm like, yo, bro, this is B.I.G. Like, you know what it is to do a song with B.I.G. So I convinced them. And, and shout out Steve Lobel <laughs> and Bone Thugs and Harmony showed up to the studio, and they did the record, Bone and Biggie, Biggie, Bone and Biggie, Biggie. And, hey. um and so every time I see that picture, I laugh. But, um, you know, that's why we got that. And So wait, you can't just say, I convinced them. Like, th how long did it take? What did you have I'm, to say? I'm bone thugs. Y'all know I love y'all. You know, I made them go do the song with B.I.G. I don't know how to explain <laughs> it to you in every other language. <laughs> They've confirmed, like, you know, yo, you got to go do it. Right. This is my brother. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's they not want, an and they're here. the happiest people in the world to confirm this because they still touring off that record. Yeah, that record is one of the biggest treasures in hip hop. Yeah, and so they happy they listen to Fat Joe when they did that. Yeah, and then we got a picture when they um when Biggie won the award is the Home Bone Thugs and me. I'm wearing the beige jacket. Is the Bone Thugs, Biggie, uh, uh, Puffy, Little Kim. I'm up in that motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? Wait, so what happens when you call Big? Do you call him and be like, I got it. I got it done? He told me, get it done. <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 the way he talked to me was like, he's not taking no for it. Yo, Joe, this on you. Right, this on you. You, you <laughs> Go find a way to get them guys. This is on you. So I got to come back like, yo, it's B.I.G. Like, it's the king of New York. Y'all bugging out. Like, yeah. <laughs> you can't say no to B.I. You know what I'm saying? So it was pretty much like that. You know what I mean? I'm and sure you were happy to deliver that news back. <laughs> yeah. I never forget, man. I never forget. It was, it was great for hip-hop. Um, that's crazy. And then when Big passed away, when he got killed, I got the phone call from Steve Lobel. He was the one who called me and was like, yo, Biggie died. I was like, no way. I was here in the Bronx. And so I got the phone call from Steve Lobel. That's the first person to tell me that. Mm. That was like crazy, you know? Yeah. 
So we kind of mm-hmm. owe you that. We kind of owe you for... Uh, for Bone and Biggie, for sure. Yeah, we, we kind of owe you for um, that. That's a great story. I'll tell you how you summarize this whole, your uh, Jerry Springer moment. Please. You know, process and everything. You know, whether we admit it or not, you know, us as New Yorkers, we real tough. We really uh, thick-skinned. But when, when they took big, they like snot, snatched the heart out the apple. You know what I'm saying? And he's like the logo. Um, he's the DNA. He's everything in New York City. Um, not just Brooklyn. Everybody in New York City uh, loves Biggie on another level. And so that's why it's so personal to us. Whenever somebody talk about him, we be like, what? Like, you, <laughs> you know how you ready to hear something? Like, you know, you've been, you been yeah, with me I and know. you hear how I talk about B.I.G. I'm like, what? Huh? Huh? And that's everybody, because we feel like, yo, Biggie is us. Like, you know what I'm saying? He's the actual logo of New York City hip hop. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that's that's uh how it's, it's always gonna give us a bit of taste. It's always gonna we're never gonna get over it. But it's, even now, do you listen to Life After Death still? Will you still listen to all, all the time? time? Yeah. Do you have like a song? Every like- time I have a good time, every time I have fun, if I'm on a yacht. If I'm celebrating life, if I'm anytime I want to feel good, I put on Biggie Smalls. I hear a Biggie Smalls song every single day of my life. Do you know how crazy that shit is? I hear Michael Jackson every single day of my life. <laughs> That's the craziest shit. You could be in a restaurant, you could be in an elevator, you could be here, you could be there. You're gonna hear Biggie. <laughs> it's so crazy. That's crazy. It's nuts. Yeah, it's great. It's 25 years later. Hip-hop is incredibly grateful that Fat Joe shared a label with Bone Thugs and Harmony. But the collaboration couldn't have happened without the Bone Thugs plug. Fat Joe's buddy, Mr. Steve Lobel. Mr. Lobel. Steve Lobel, of course. How you doing, Ange? I'm good. It's good to see your face. You've been with Bone Thugs for how long? Since the beginning? Um, I was introduced Bone in 1993 mm. from the late great Easy E, rest in peace, from NWA. And um, I worked at Relativity Sony where Ruthless Records was distributed. So Easy had them signed. And then um, Easy brought them to New York City for the first time. We took them to the tunnel. And then Easy had walked back to the hotel. And Easy got uh, a cold. And uh, I never saw him again. He passed away. Wow. And the only ones they really knew was me. Um, so I've been with them for over 25 years. Well, first of all, let me let me just ask you about um, your relationship with Big. Do you remember seeing him for the first time or meeting him for the first time? What was your first? Yeah, the first time I saw him connection. was in uh, Philadelphia at the Armory. Mm-hmm. You know, I come in the game to the late great Jam Master J, rest in peace, and run DMC. So we were out there for the the show. It was a, Russell Simmons had this show. It was called the show. It was like a soundtrack, and I saw Big perform at the uh, Armory out there in Philly. Um, got to meet him. And then fast forward, you know, I started working with Fat Joe, and Fat Joe would always run into Big, and I'd be with uh, Fat Joe, so mm. I met Big a few times. We were shooting a Mo Thugs video. Um, it's Bone Thugs and Harmony's label with their artist, and we were out in California, and I had moved out to California once E passed away, working with Bone, and um, I was at this hotel, and I don't know how Joe found me, but Fat Joe found me and called me and said, hey, um, Puff's going to call you. And then Puff called me and said, Big wants to do a song with Bone, 
and we're at the record plant studios. Um, can we get them? And at that time, Bone was big, man. You know, they had dropped East 1999, E99, and they had Crossroads out, and they were big, and they were wild. I called them all. The funny thing is Wishbone had the relationship with uh, Big from when they met them in New York, you know, back then. And uh, Wish wasn't in L.A. at the time. At the time, was crazy, busy, and lazy, and Fleshbone was there as well. Um, so I called them all, tracked them down, which was not easy, and they all pulled up one at a time, and Lazy showed up with about 30 people, Busy showed up by himself, Crazy showed up about 15 people, Flesh showed up about 10 people. So we were in there deep. Um, and, they, and Puff had the Hennessy and the, and the champagne going, and Lazy brought weed, and Little C's was there. Stevie J cooked up the beat. We had the Mo Thug soldiers in there. D-Rock was there. And um, shout out Arnold Turner, the legendary uh, photographer. He was in there taking pictures. Brian Perry was filming with a film crew. And that film, that, that, that um, video content has never showed up. Someone was in there filming with big cameras back wow. then, and that, f that f never showed up. And um, I just know that, you know, Big passed out a few times. He was sleeping, and, you know, Busy went in there and just did his thing in like 20 minutes. Crazy did his thing. Lazy was out in the, the limo sleep, and I woke him up. Um, and then, they, you know, he came in the studio, and they laid their verses, and that song was just amazing. And then Big was like, I'm going to take this home to New York and practice. I remember, um, I think it was D-Rock was telling a story about how uh, Lazy was, I guess he had been drinking, he maybe drank too much, went outside in the car and passed out, and they thought maybe it was a rap, like he wasn't going to get on the song. Yeah, no, Lazy's known for that, though, but when you wake him up, I would take washcloths, cold water washcloths, <laughs> and wake him up, shake him, and get him up, and he jumped right on the mic and delivers at all times. So, you know, remember, Bone is the only group to ever do a song with Easy e uh, Tupac Shakur, Biggie Smalls, Big Pun, and mentored by Jam Master J, so wow. keep that in mind. Yeah. yeah. Is it true that um, Lazy did the song in one take? He did his, his verse? Yeah, he did it in one take. That's what he usually does. You know, Lazy he does things in one take. Um, crazy, you know, it takes a couple times, but he murders it. Mm -hmm. And Busy, you know, he's all over the place, but he does his thing too. And again, like, I was just blown away how quick that song was. It, the song was probably done quicker than the session because we were there for a while and like I told you, there was cases of Hennessy and cases of champagne and weed and stuff like that. And, you know, at that time, Bone used to like drink Hennessy and they used to get turned up and uh, it would knock them out as well. So, <laughs> um, again, they would always wake up. It's not the first time Lazy drank a little Hennessy, went to sleep, woke up and killed verses. Uh, many verses he's done. I've been in the studio with him for a long time. But what did it mean for them to have Big want to jump on a song with them and deliver it in their lane? You know, it's funny you say that, right? Because I'm from Queens, New York, and um, I worked with so many legacy and legendary artists from from New York. And when I started working with Bone, you know, they, they were dropping albums and they were doing Diamond. Um, they was multi-platinum artists and had big hit singles. But with all due respect, New York didn't really show them love. Um, the radio didn't show them love and no one really showed them love. But whenever we do come to New York, they would show them love. Like you saw Michael Jackson or Guns N' Roses. So... Um, when Crossroads came, a lot of people in New York started loving them. Remember, these are global artists that were selling millions and millions of records. And your brother Fat Joe will tell you because he was really close with them. But when Big did the song, and again, we didn't hear the verse. You know, Big passed away and then the song came out and I was like, whoa. But he took his time to master their flow. And when it came out, New York had a whole different perspective on Bone Thugs and Harmony. Um, and it really helped them out in New York more. And um, 
I was just I'm glad I just got that call, picked up the phone and put that together because that goes down in history and it's iconic. Mm-hmm. There was some talk about the fact that they had this relationship with Pac. And so then when Big initially asked for them to be on the song, that there was some resistance. Was that true for anybody in the nah, group? Bone never got caught up in no beef, like with that type of East Coast, West Coast stuff. Um, They were cool with everybody. You know, people would throw their names and stuff like they had beef, but it wasn't a real beef beef. But when they did that song with Pac, that song was done with Busy Bone. And then Bone got on that song. And that song goes down in history. And then, you know, when Joe called me and then Puff called me about Biggie, there wasn't no resistance. Bone was like, man, hell yeah. And I'm just blessed to be part of history by connecting the dots and doing the business for them. And... Man, and when that song came out, I was like, damn. And they still record, they still perform that song till this day. And if they don't, people get upset. Lazy Bone also remembers the Notorious Thug session very clearly. Today, he sees the song as a gift left by Big. One that expanded the reach of an already multi-platinum group, giving them a song that 25 years later is on demand at every Bone Thugs and Harmony live performance. Lazy Bone, I ain't seen you in... It's been a minute, my friend. Yeah, it's been, it been over a That's decade. That's crazy. Thank you so much for doing this today, man. We had to include you. This Of all the people we've been talking about, this Life After Death album, obviously, with a lot of people, and just this song, this Notorious Thug song, just keep, it's, it's such a thing for people. People resonate with it so much. It's so historic and legendary. Um, so I appreciate you taking the time today right. to talk about this and take us down memory lane a little bit. Most definitely. So tell me about the first time you met Big. Do you remember? The very first time I met Biggie Smalls, uh, actually, it's a crazy story for real. Uh, it was November, well, no, not no, it was Russell Simmons' Christmas party back in like 1995. Flesh and Bone had just signed with Def Jam, and uh, Russ, Russ invited us to his party. So we went out there, no security, all that. Long story short, it was a big fight broke out between Bone Thugs and Harmony and Wu Tang Clan, and um, yeah, we it was we tore the club up, and um, shout out to Wu Tang Clan, it's all <laughs> yeah. I was gonna now. say, um, what was that yeah, fight over? It was over somebody was pushing and shoving in the club, and you know what I. I don't know what that fight was over. It was stupid. But at the same time, though, it was live. You know, it was the 90s, and we was young, wild. We was getting it in. And as the fight broke out, Biggie Smalls was coming into the club. You know what I mean? And that was the very first time we had actually got a chance to meet Big. It was so brief. But he actually, him and Chris Lighty, rest in peace, actually got us up out of there before it got way, way too crazy. So my first encounter was big. He was like, yo, these bones, yo, we got to get them up out of here, yo. And yeah, he uh, he protected wow. us. Wow. How did he get you out of there? I mean, he had, he was bagging the crowd up. You know what I mean? It was like 12 of us, all rappers. We all about 150 pounds and, and it was us and it was New York. And New York saw that, you know, they was riding with Wu-Tang Clan. So what had happened was Biggie Smalls was like, was just so happened to be walking up and he he loved our music. I had knew him. I had never 
like got a chance to personally meet him, but he was like, you know, protecting hip hop at the time. So he bagged up the crowd. He was the he was the biggest nigga in the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Were there words exchanged with him with you and him, or you didn't have time because it was too crazy that night? Well, at, well, well, actually, him and Wishbone, uh, you know, they they locked up, you know, like they was giving love and all that. And they, they had a few words. But I'm telling you, it was so brief. Like, we was going out, and he was coming in, and he saw the mayhem. And basically, you know, he just bagged the crowd up. And um, Chris Lighty came around the corner, skirt, big, get him in the car. And boom, they pushed us in the uh, SUV. And we got out of there, and I'm I'm here to tell that story today. Wow! And then, when, so did you? Did you ever have a chance to talk to him about that moment? Actually, that was the first thing we talked about when we did the uh, Notorious Thug mm-hmm. song. I hadn't seen him since then, and we end up out here in California. We uh, end up doing the Notorious Thug song, so we talked about it, laughed, joked. That day right there was so off the hook, you know what I mean? It was like we was in the studio like 50 deep. Uh, everybody from Bad Boy, everybody from Mo Thug and Ruthless. Um, man, that, that was a hell of a time. But, yeah, we got to talk about it. We smoked weed and and uh, laughed about it and all that and was p- contemplating on making one of the dopest songs we possibly could make in the mm-hmm. world. It just was such a big moment that this collaboration was not a small thing. You know, it was a it was a big thing. Maybe you could talk about the time, that time, and what you guys were accomplishing in that moment. At that time, I believe it was 1996, almost 1997 or something like that. So where we were in our career, we had just came off the single of The Crossroads, <laughs> which was number one on the charts. You know, uh, we we had just released East 1999, Eternal, our our second album. Um, we was we was probably probably the biggest rap group in the world at that time, and um, yeah, we was hot, man. It was it was on fire. You know, it was in the middle of hailstorm of the East Coast West Coast uh, beef. That was blowing up in the magazines, you know what I'm saying? So, and it was odd because it was like we had just did a song with Pac, you know what I mean? And then to be able to do a song with Biggie, people thought, you know, especially from the Midwest, they felt like, you know, we was bringing it all together. Like we was bringing the peace to back, like because we was able to maneuver through both camps and 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 stay neutral, basically, you know what I'm saying, and just really stick to the music. So at that time, we was we was hot, hotter than fish grease. We was <laughs> balling yeah, out of control. A- East 1999 was was diamond. Wow, you know it was like that was ten times platinum Sheet. already, almost like eight eight times platinum. So when Steve Lobel put it on the table, it was like, yo, Puff wants y'all to do a song with um were big and it was on and cracking because we was, you know, we was living on the West mm-hmm. Coast. So, you know, and big was out there on the West Coast. And that and at that time it was like uh Pac had just got murdered. And for him to be out there was like 
and he was and we was moving around like real free hearted and everything. It was it was it was a it was a weird time in hip hop, put it like that. Yeah. Shit was real. I had heard that you guys um you weren't sure if you wanted to do the record. Maybe you could say if this is true or not, but that you guys weren't sure about if you wanted to do the record because of your relationship with Pac and how hostile everything was at that time. Is that true? I mean, our relationship with Pac was the same as it was with Biggie. We was fans of, of mm -hmm. both of those of both of those artists. He was fresh off ready to die, you know what I'm saying? So Juicy and all that was bumping on the radio. Like it was an honor for us. We was we was trying to build our legacy. So whatever they had going on, we people mistook us for being West Coast artists, but we from Cleveland, Ohio, you know what I mean? So we Midwest, we was always neutral. It was always about the music mm -hmm. for us. How did you, talk about the collaboration a bit because you, two different sounds, two different types of artists, uh, but somehow it just came together and seemed to make so much sense. Tell me how that happened then. You know, like I said, we met up in California. Now what happened, it was so much of a party in this studio that we was in, which was a real tight studio, it wasn't a real big studio. You had uh, you had uh, Lil C's was there, Stevie J, Puffy was there. Um, man, it was so many of us in that building. All the Mo Thug artists was in the building, and it was like it was an all day thing of us just really kicking it in the studio. Stevie J, Stevie J made the beat on the spot. Um, so we were smoking, drinking, you know, having a good time. And I tell you, uh, so it was my responsibility to bring that weed that time, you know <laughs> what I'm saying? And and I had I had to get at uh I had to get at Biggie, like cause I came in and set a couple ounces on the um on the on the on the panel, you know, everybody get to rolling up. Big put my weed in his pocket. I'm like, hey man, what, 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 what the hell is you doing, man? He like, oh, I thought this was, I thought this was for me. <laughs> I was like, it is, man. So, so it it was a real fun time. Like we kicked it like we was brothers, like forever, ever. And I remember I did. Well, I remember Crazy Bone doing his verse. Busy Bone doing his verse. I fell asleep in the limousine because we was drinking Hennessy. I all heard day. that I story. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I woke right up out of my sleep. Steve Lobel come shake me up in the uh, in the in the limousine, and he like, "Your turn, man." They thought I was out for the count, but I went and hit that thing one take, mm -hmm. boom. So we did our parts. We did the chorus line, and the song was great. But Biz but Biggie was like, "I'm gonna take this home." So he didn't do his part wow. that night. We all did our part, you know, so Biggie took it home. So the style meshing together, he intentionally went home, was like, I'm finna mastermind a flow. And that's what he told us before we left. But we didn't, we didn't have the pleasure to even hear what he had done mm. until after he passed. Wow. You know what I mean? So. It, so we was going through things in the industry with different artists about whose style was this and all these different things. So once after Biggie passed and the album came out and we heard his flow, it was like now the world knew that he paid homage to that flow 
and it was a different respect for Bone Thugs and Harmony. Yeah. That that changed a lot when he flipped that. That armed and dangerous. Ain't too many can bang with us. Straight up, we know Angel Dust. Oh man, when he flipped that like that, it was like, like now when we went to New York, because you know New York was hard, man. It was if you ain't wasn't yeah. from there a lot of times and shit, they just look at you like, you be up there rocking your heart out. They be like, what is these niggas doing? And it, but after after Biggie did that. <laughs> Man, we went and did a show at B.B. King's up there in New York, and whew, I mean, they came out like never before, so. Did you think at any point when he passed that, um, did you know the song was done, or did you think maybe the song would have just disappeared? Um, I mean, after he passed, after Big passed, I really didn't even think about it. I forgot about Mm -hmm. the song because it was so devastating that he passed. Like the song wasn't, we didn't even think about that. Like, so yeah, no, I, I forgot. I totally forgot about the whole song scenario. Well, we, I knew we had the song with him, but at the same time, we didn't know if he did it. We didn't know, we didn't know what happened with the whole situation mm-hmm. because it was, it was traumatizing. It was that traumatized us. We was like, we was just with him and. And like the streets was so hot, it was like, you know, everybody was on high alert. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So the the music was a secondary thought. It was about some real, real street nigga shit at that time. Yeah. You guys were, you know, so wildly successful. Millions and millions of albums. I mean, like a this that Crossroads was not just the number one song. It was like a phenomenon. Like you guys were some of the biggest artists in the world at that time. And even still, with that success, that you credit Biggie for cementing your flow uh, for a lot of people, that's a that's a big deal. It's definitely a big deal, you know what I mean? And, and, then, and to this day, our fans got a problem with us if we don't perform Notorious Thugs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, we just did a show in... Uh, in Ventura, California yesterday, I could show you the footages when and we and when Biggie when his verse come on and they and the crowd sing it with us, it's like mm-hmm. every night it's a brand new song. And it's what, twenty plus years later, and our fans will absolutely have a fit if we don't perform that song. It's probably one of the most high energetic songs that we got. You know, cause a lot of a lot of our music is, you know, got harmonies and the beat is maybe slower, but that one right there get the stadium jumping to this day. Give me your reaction, or where were you, or what did you think when you first heard it, when you first heard Big's verse? I remember exactly where I was. I had a house up in Chatsworth, uh, California. Big living up there, you know what I mean? And um, I got the CD from... I got the CD from my cousin, so I always had the song with just our verses on there. And then when we heard it, I was sitting in the back of my uh, excursion, and the music was bumped up, and we was in we was in my uh, driveway. And man, when I tell you, everybody in the neighborhood came out the house, and we had a party right there in the neighborhood. I'm talking about we had old English. 800, that's how 1990s it was, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And man, 
sipping on Wild Irish Rose and Hennessy. So we had the whole street jumping. It was like we had a new album out. Wow. Only one photo exists of that legendary studio session where Bone and Biggie combined brilliance to lay the foundation for Notorious Thugs. It was a night of weed ounces, Hennessy cases, and drunk one-take verses. Little C's remembers it like it was yesterday. We, we always talk about, um, you know, big passing and the impact on music and things like that. I was talking to Lazy Bone earlier, and he was just talking about the trauma. Yeah. The trauma of that time for everybody. You know, like, I, I mean, I can't even imagine for you and, and, yeah. and the family and the squad, but, um, you know... He, they had just done the song, that Bone Thug song. You were there? Yeah, hell that yeah. Day, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, was, that was like a dope-ass session, man. That shit was fun as fuck. Whole Mo Thugs, like everybody that was signed to them. And, you know, Big embraced that shit and loved it. All of them did their verses, and Big ain't do his verse that day. He was just like, yeah, I'm going to sit on that shit. Like, mm -hmm. I just wanted to get the vibe. And you know, all of them, they was like, you know, cool. Like, really down to earth, like, really just fucking with Big on some real, like, chill hood shit. Because Big was like, yeah, I just want to make sure I master this shit. And one day we was in Daddy's house where Big wanted to do the verse. We got back home, and Big was like, yo, that's the first time he ever asked all of us to leave the room. He was like, yo, all y'all just got to leave. Even me. Nobody could sit in there. So who was he in there? Just the engineer? Just the engineer. Hmm. Yeah. Why and do you think he did that? So I think he wanted to just focus. I think he wanted to just make sure it's right. I don't think he wanted no distractions. No, Big was a real worker like that. Like, he was very professional, too. Like, don't, you know, he's very cool with just doing rhymes in front of any and everybody. But, you know, he was a professionist, too. Like, you know, he, he knew what he wanted to do, how he wanted to do it. Do you think because it was a different flow, too, that maybe it was of a little... Of course, yeah. He don't want no distractions, like... Imagine you writing your biggest rhyme that you might think will change your life and you sitting here watching a joke in front of you. He ain't like distractions too. When he focus, he focus. Mm. He don't never do that. He was like, yo, everybody got to leave the studio. For 30 minutes. It wasn't that long. 30 minutes. We come back in there. They had that whole verse laid out. Like line for line, ad-lib, bars, delivery, Cause that was something that was just on his mind. He he was just a a perfectionist. Like I'm just like oh, nah, I'm gonna cover grounds. Like I found it interesting too. What did you think first of all when you heard the verse? I didn't think he did it. I was like, you did that? <laughs> he looked at me like, you want to go home? Like what you mean I do that? But he was just that. He, that's why he wanted to sit home. He was like, yo, I, I wasn't. He was just enjoying that moment of hanging out with Bone Thugs at that time, just to create energy with them and, and to learn them. Like, Big was just one of them guys that's come from the old school. He wanted to bond with people he, he'd do records with. When he did records with Hove and people like that, like, he embraced them. He would chill with them. We gonna go drink, we gonna go hang out, we gonna go vibe. He wanted to fill you out. If you ever listen to Ready to Die, he had no features on there, because Big was like that. He only dealt with people he genuinely fuck with as a musician. Like, in, he wasn't one of them niggas that just gravitate to any and everybody. Like, you, but he was just a, a fan of music. Like, nobody know that about him. He, you may think he was just so hardcore, so scary, and so aggressive, but nah, outside of that, 
his, one of his favorite rappers was Old Dirty Bastard. Like, he liked it that, like, animated and Buster Rhymes. He, he loved that, like, you know, because Big was just, he was just a fan of music. Like, he was just one of them guys that was just like, yo, I enjoy the coach. I don't give a fuck where you from. You sound good. You sound great. That was just his energy. So to do something with Bone, that was like his challenge. That was like his, his breakout of sophomore shit. Like, you know what? You think this shit was a flock. Now I'm going to show you what I really do right now. Mm. And he didn't get a chance to really, like, you know, live that. He didn't get a chance to do that. Ten Crack Commandments and the world is filled. Like he on record with Too Short. Like he was, he was showing you. Like yo, listen, I love everything. Like, like I fuck with Bay music. I fuck with LA music. And he was just like, you know, I don't think people really got a, a, a chance to understand who he really was and what he was trying to do. He was just, just too much at his time. He didn't get a chance to really live it. He says, "I'm." He announces, "I'm about to do this shit in one take." And he goes in there and he kind of does it and he stops and he like run it back. And the next take, he ran the whole verse in one take. Being a that that skid nigga, that nigga been off a nah shit. So that bothered him too. So he said he was gonna address uh, quite a few people. And I come up to him, he got some slippers on him. I'm like, yeah, what's going on? Nah, you know, some dudes called my house, talk about they, they coming to get me. So I'm waiting for them. find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.